Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. A podcast about making radio from the University of Bedfordshire. Hello, I'm Terry Lee, and this is the first episode of Fantastic Noise. Thank you so, so much for your time and for your ears. I love radio. I've worked in radio for my entire working life, having fallen in love with it whilst at UEA, the University of East Anglia in Norwich, between 2003 and 2006. My background is primarily community radio. For five years, I presented Breakfast and went on to manage Norwich's Mighty Future Radio. That was from 2007 to 2014. I have also been a director of the Community Media Association since being voted on in 2013. Now, I'm at the University of Bedfordshire, based in Luton. This podcast is essentially an exploration of different themes that come up with students when we talk about radio here at the university. How do we explore? Well, through the voices and opinions of experts, of course, but also the voices of some of the people I've worked with along the way here in Bedfordshire. To discuss our first theme, an obvious one, presenting on the radio, down the line, thanks to the wonders of IP technology, is Chris Ross, who's just graduated from the university in media performance. Hello, Chris. Hey Terry, how's it going? Brilliant, thank you Chris, and thank you so much for joining me. You, you've been a student, or you were a student I should say, with a strong focus on radio presenting throughout your university course. What is it about radio that you really love? Do you know what, it's, it's been a, sort of a massive part of, of my, my childhood. I always used to listen to uh, the radio growing up. It wasn't until I was around about 14 where I sort of wanted to get more involved in radio rather than just being a, a consumer and a listener. And um, I managed to do work experience at a pretty big radio station, one of the biggest in the UK. I was at KISS when I was 14, doing like work experience. And ever since then, really, I knew that I wanted to study at university, take it a bit further, uh, with the hopes of potentially getting more involved in it as a career as well when I grow older. So what would you say have been your radio highlights since coming to the university, like in terms of progression and, and radio you've made? Well... Radio Lab, which is the the university student radio station, was basically the first place that um, I managed to get a show on and actually test it out firsthand and see what I was like at it. Mm. It, it, it was it was pretty much the, the the first place that allowed me to actually have a show, and it was it's it's a great place to 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 start and to learn because you haven't got you haven't got the pressure of like I don't know like a commercial radio station where you've got uh, bosses telling you what what your listening figures have to be <laughs> and so on and so forth and you just sort of get that freedom of just to do whatever you like and sort of test the waters and go go with it from there what about your you're being modest I'm guessing here but what about your relatively recent success in the student radio awards last year yeah so um, last year we put together some audio uh, of sort of our best bits when it comes to presenting. I think the audio had to be around about four minutes and um, lucky enough managed to get it nominated for Best Male at Student Radio Awards, which was pretty, which was a pretty big achievement considering I only started presenting about two, two years, two years, three years ago. Mm. And um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was great to be nominated, great experience and uh, got some good feedback from the judges as well. So I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good it's a good start for me, and hopefully we'll see where things end up going. But yeah, it's looking it's looking positive. Yeah, because those who who aren't aware of how these awards work, that means that they ranked you in the top top six 
male in the UK. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. And just before we go on, Chris, where can people hear you broadcasting at the moment if, if they wanted to hear some of your radio work? Well, at the moment, um, I am presenting on a community radio station in Watford called Vibe One Seven Point Six. I do the drive time show there every Wednesday. Uh, so if you wanted to maybe have a listen, you could do it that way. Or I'm also on SoundCloud as well. And I've got a couple of demos and stuff that I've like, you can listen to my best mail entry and stuff like that over on my SoundCloud. Um, just Chris Ross and you can find it that way as well. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. A podcast about making radio. Coming up in today's podcast, we're going to be hearing from BBC Radio Cambridgeshire's Fordyce Fredrickson, freelance presenter Luke Gregory and Kate Cocker, the presenter coach. We're also going to be dissecting some radio jargon with the radio word of the week and making a trip to Dr Laurie Hallett's radio surgery. But first, Chris, you may have heard it said that we each have one mouth but two ears and that we should use them in proportion, especially with radio. I've been asking people to contact us to tell us what they've been enjoying listening to recently. What are you listening to? Hello, I'm Mary, 67 years old, living in the Cotswolds. In the late afternoon, sometimes I listen to science programmes on Radio 4 and Eddie Mayer at 5. In the car, I'll jump around between radio channels for something that sounds fun, such as Jack FM in Oxford. Hi, my name's Becky, I'm 36 and I'm a pharmacist living in East Sussex. I hate silence and I'm training for a long hike at the moment, so I've recently been listening to a podcast called Under the Skin with Russell Brand. I've always enjoyed his controversial humour, and in this podcast he uses it to punctuate quite weighty topics like racism, feminism, anarchy and slavery. This podcast makes me think and it makes me smile. Hi, my name's Kate and I'm 28 from London and I work in recruitment. I'm really enjoying listening to Fern Cotton's podcast, Happy, where she interviews celebrities and also The Guilty Feminist because it's absolutely hilarious. If you want to tell us about what you've been listening to, drop us a line, fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk. Chris, at the end there, we heard from Kate, who likes Fern Cotton's audiobook, Happy, amongst other things. Are you listening to audiobooks or, or podcasts, or is it all about radio for you? Um, I'm pretty invested in Love Island, and they actually have a podcast where they sort of review uh, the previous night's show. Uh, and I've been listening to that quite a bit recently, okay. uh, and it's really good. I enjoy it. Do you think you'd consider um, buying a subscription for, for something like Audible and, and getting audiobooks, or, or do you think at the moment there's a lot of free stuff that you haven't got through? Do you know what? If it's something that comes up uh, that's like of a keen interest of mine, then I, I don't see why not. If, if, it's, if it's a reasonable price, then I think it's, it's definitely worth investing in because you know, if it's if it's something that's gonna for example a book about presenting and how to get better and if it's gonna improve your career for instance uh, I'd say it's, it's a good thing to do but if it's just like a leisure book or something just that takes uh, an interest to you then I think it might be worth it as well Every week I thought I'd share something that I've been enjoying listening to. This week I'm going to mention the Adam Buxton podcast. It's hugely popular. Adam is very funny, he's based in Norfolk, and often records the intros and the outros whilst walking his dog in the countryside there. Uh, the meat in the middle of his podcast is an interview with a celebrity guest. In May he spoke with comedian Charlie Brooker, and I laughed so much when I listened. There's also lots of silly, surreal songs. It's thoroughly recommended. Have you come across 
Adam Buxton, Chris? I haven't, but no. since you've mentioned it, I think I might have to take a look into it a bit more. <laughs> well, I tell you what, the one, the, one of the things I really like about him is that he breaks a lot of radio rules. It's very much a podcast, not a radio programme. There are lots of um, questionable quality audio clips, uh, loads yeah. of long rambling conversations, <laughs> the swearing aplenty, and I think it all kind of appeals to me in, in that way, the breaking of the rules. Fantastic Noise, a podcast about making radio from the University of Bedfordshire. So back to the focus of this podcast, presenting. Uh, we're about to hear from Fordice, who I went to visit at BBC Radio Cambridgeshire recently. She's been presenting radio programmes for the BBC for over six years. I actually first met Fordice over ten years ago when she volunteered at Future Radio in Norwich. It's fantastic to see and hear what she's achieved since then. This is BBC Plus, the top 10 trio rewinds your radio to 1979. Drive time is on the way after the four o'clock news for Cambridgeshire with Emma Hadjigo. I'm Thordis Fredrickson. I'm the drive time presenter for BBC Radio Cambridgeshire. So I get the delight of just a two hour show, Monday to Friday, four until 6pm. The first hour, nice and light. And then from five, it's the news fix. So all those local stories, bit of national, international and tons of travel news because it's rush hour. And how long have you been at the BBC now? When did you begin presenting programmes for the BBC as well? It's a a funny one because my first... My first way into the BBC was from community radio, got some work experience and then just hounded them until I could get some cover shifts. And then soon after that, I secured my first contract, which was for the giddy inducing two hours a week Mm -hmm. phone answering on a gardening show. Um, And then I kind of got more and more cover work off the back of that. That would have probably been eight years ago or something. Uh, probably about six years ago, I started cover presenting and it was the gardening show I started off being able to cover present the gardeners were the most important thing not the presenter and then started covering other shows um and it was only october last year that i got my own monday to friday show so i'd gone freelance the end of 2016 spent a year jobbing around cover presenting shows across the schedule in Norfolk and Suffolk and Cambridgeshire and then it just right time right place Cambridgeshire Mm. needed a drive time presenter as of October 2017 and that's when I started being here. And Fordice a a day in the life if you will of presenting drive time for for BBC Cambridgeshire what's involved when when do you start working when does it end? Well I'm lucky nobody pays too much attention to when I start but it's definitely (laughs) not a a rock up at three o'clock be on air at four or rock up at five to four or anything like that the the nature of drive time means that quite a lot of the guests aren't free when you want them on so from five o'clock our top story may involve somebody from you know the local NHS trust or, or maybe a local MP it's highly unlikely they'll be available live so I tend to be in the office from say midday maybe a bit earlier maybe a bit later and across the course of the afternoon I'm doing pre-recorded interviews sometimes I go out sometimes I'm in a bit later because I'll have been to a nature reserve or the botanic garden or been to a shop and, and recorded with somebody about comics or whatever the first hour being nice and light I can run slightly longer feature length items so each day is different but there's a lot of prep that goes into the show when we get on air there is plenty that's off the cuff loads of ad-lib stuff 
but generally each item has got an introduction so everything's queued up everything is you know had to have been either topped and tailed so a tiny bit of editing or more thoroughly edited so yeah there's there's quite a lot of hours go into just those two hours on air and how many people are, are working on on the drive time show for example I think we're quite lucky in that it's not just two of us. But that being said, there's there's only two of us full time. Mm. And the producer of the show is multitasking to a degree I don't think I could do. So the producer of Drive Time sets up all the news items in the five o'clock hour uh, and queues those up and hopefully put some questions in there as well. But they've also got to read the news from one o'clock. So they're reading the, the, the full bulletin at one, two, three and four, also headlines at 4.30 and 5.30. And then through the course of the programme they're having to clip out and rewrite the news based on what the guests have said on those those stories so mm. uh, if, if we, hopefully we've got a new top line on the stories from uh, from the interviews they're changing that as well and uh, then we also have a BA a broadcast assistant who answers the phones gets the guests ready makes cups of tea and you know goes to reception to bring the guests through when they turn up if we've got anybody uh, live but they're only on from three until the end of the show so we have a three hour assistant sure. And uh, and then just two of us full time. What is it about radio presenting that appealed to you? And and when did you realise this was something that you wanted to do? That's a really interesting question. I think that the moment I realised I loved it actually came years before I really believed I could do it because. Uh, it's funny having you here from my first forays into broadcasting at mm. Future Radio. Really, the moment I realised I loved radio presenting was at the very beginning of Future Radio days when we did the four-week course, the kind of dipping you into every aspect of radio. Mm. And it was the last week of that four-week course that we got to do a little bit of radio presenting. And I loved that. After that moment, I then realised that it was incredibly difficult and lost all my confidence and thought I couldn't do it and did a lot of production sure. and a bit of reporting and then at some point came back and uh, and did a bit of cover presenting thought I was horrendous I still have many days when I think I'm horrendous but I suppose over time you you inevitably improve a little bit and also you just realize to be an okay radio presenter is there's a certain formula to it in mm-hmm. the end there people joke about you saying what's happened what's happening what's coming up and there are kind of component parts to being a totally fine radio presenter. And so I think I can do that now. There are a few moments when I think, like, that was really good. Sure. I'm still trying to attain the regular, that was really good radio presenting. Well, yeah, and that, I guess, something which everyone should consider. We have professionals and everyone's trying to get better and improving. Always. And picking up bad habits at the same time, but hopefully (laughs) more of the improving. Do you have any of those standout highs or or lows from your radio career so far? Any favourite things? Oh, I mean, highs. I think uh, I've just come back. I'm incredibly lucky. I've just come back from press day at the Chelsea Flower Show. I, I think most of my highs come from Chelsea because there are there's a higher calibre of, of celebrity or interviewee there. And I've bumped into and had very quick chats with everyone from Stephen Fry to Cliff Richard uh, alongside the show gardens at the Chelsea Flower Show. I mean, I have... Sometimes my favourite moments are talking to totally normal people, but mm. really feeling like you connect. It doesn't happen with with a lot of people you interview. That and also news interviews, you're not really trying to to connect too much. I like those long form sit down, talk about somebody's life interviews. Sure. And there are a few people who really open up. I mean, somebody like Tom Chaplin from Keen, Keen fame. He's a very authentic, open up kind of interviewee. Talking to him 
you really feel like you're getting down to the, the real person. They're the moments that, that stand out for me. I mean, bad moments, uh, they, they happen quite frequently, just things going wrong. I think you have to start to enjoy things going wrong in live radio <laughs> and, and, and almost sort of try and make them make them more hilarious and, and enjoy them as a feature because stuff goes wrong all the time. You hit the wrong button. Yep. Not recording interviews. There we go. I think that's the worst thing. We've all been there. We've all pressed record and it was actually only on kind of pre-fade rather yes. than press it twice to record. That happened when I was at Future Radio, but it was it was not a very um, important interview and it's happened a little bit later on. Mm. But normally... I've noticed within a few seconds and then press record and just missed the beginning of an interview or something. But I'm sure it's waiting for me. It, it happens to people even late on in their careers not recording interviews, but it's a horrible sinking sure feeling. Is. It's Thordies and Drive Time. BBC Radio Cambridgeshire. With local BBC radio stations, you've experienced a, a couple now and, and they're managing editors. They They make decisions based on how well you're doing as a presenter. Do you know how they, I guess, make those decisions? <laughs> and, and do you get given advice and feedback by the bosses? And, and, and what I guess, what is success for a local BBC station? Is it, is it radar figures? Is it awards? Is it just how it sounds? How do they make those decisions? These, these are really interesting questions because I think BBC management is a mystery to most people who work in the BBC at any level. You do get a bit of feedback. Some of it you don't want. Um, I'm sure my managing editor wouldn't mind me saying that my music feature I run, which is only three songs long, it's supposed to be, you know, look back at... Uh, the uh, charts of years gone by has been further and further cut down from sort of the 50s through to the 90s to now I think we do like the late 60s to the late 80s Mm. um, just because they've decided it doesn't tie in with music policy. So you do get certain restrictions, you do get bits of guidance. That being said, my show format was very much my creation. I was allowed to do what I wanted as long as, you know, we had news after five and Mm. and things like that. And a certain amount of it is is malleable. Um, We're still figuring out how much news we want after five because obviously that's our remit. But at the same time, listeners seem to like there being some music in there. So you sort of ebb and flow and change. They do respond to listening figures which I find quite interesting with local radio because in the end we're, we're sort of fulfilling this brief and, and it's quite hard to necessarily then compete with the likes of Radio 2 or Radio 4 who are doing such specific things or Heart or any of the commercial stations. But listening figures do have um, have a part to play. And in terms of how success is, me- is measured, uh, it is about listening figures and awards. But I think so much of it is an editor being on your side and feeling some sort of investment in you and this is probably some of my biggest advice for people who go into radio is if you're at a station and you don't feel like anyone is invested in your future then you might need to go somewhere else quite Mm. often the station you start at and you learn loads at and you really make leaps and bounds if you want to go the distance you quite often have to leave because you need somebody to see you as a star you need someone to see you as talent and to kind of pick you out and then be right behind you because they've picked you, if you see what I mean. Certainly, that's what I found, and various friends of mine have found the same thing, that the station they started at, you're always the work experience. Sure. Who's just learned a bit. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> that's good. And, and some, some good advice for, for people as well that may be thinking about radio broadcasting in the future. I've noticed that your CV now isn't just restricted to 
radio presenting you're you're also making videos writing articles on stage <laughs> so is this because you want to do other things or because you're worried about the future of radio or is it a tool to get more radio listeners or is it something else to be perfectly honest i think part of it is because when i wanted to be seen as a presenter you kind of want to big yourself up as much as possible some people are better at this than others i've always found i'm a little bit rubbish at it so it was a, a conscious effort but certainly when I wanted to be taken seriously as a presenter and to be hired as a presenter, I wanted to make a really good website that said I did as much as possible. Um, and I have written articles which that sort of came about more organically than me hunting them down because a lot of this work's hard to find. Voiceover stuff, I put myself as a voiceover artist, but it's generally stuff I've done within the BBC. And I could do voiceovers, but that's, again, quite hard work to get, especially if it's not your focus. So, and the videos and things, a lot of it's happened organically. I do think it's good... And particularly in radio, I think if you've done some telly or you've done some videos or whatever, there's a certain air of mystery around it. And it's never a bad thing to put it there on your CV or to put anything on your CV. Just big yourself up as much as possible, because if you walk the walk and talk the talk, particularly the latter in the world of radio and probably beyond, people just take you more seriously. They don't know. We're all getting away with it. (laughs) (laughs) But you're not lying. That's the thing. It's not not a lie. It's just just you're saying things which maybe... Oh, yeah, well, I have done that. Uh, And I can say I've done that. I can say I've done interviews and I know how to edit audio and I know how to use this software. And you don't necessarily think of it as a big thing. So, yeah, that's... Put it all down. Put it all down. Brilliant. (laughs) So, Fordis, we always ask our guests this... um, what are you listening to at the moment? Are there any presenters or radio stations or programmes or even podcasts that have got your ear? Do you know, I absolutely love podcasts and I don't get as much time to listen to them as I want to. And there are loads of great ones I've loved. But I'm, I'm slowly getting my way through, and this is probably the last thing your people want to listen to, but the Fortunately podcast, which is Jane Garvey of Woman's Hour fame on Radio 4 and Fee Glover, who does the Listening Project, etc. Uh, and they're really good mates. They swear a bit, not as much as I'd like and probably as much as they'd like, but it is very podcasty and they talk about radio. And I, I suppose as a radio person, I love how much they talk about their history in local radio and starting at the beginnings of Five Live. And they're quite irreverent about the BBC, which most of us in the BBC quite like. And they have some great guests on. So I'm, I'm way behind because I'm working my way through it chronologically. But there, I think there's a lot of insight there. And they talk to some top people like Jeremy Vine and Greg James and they sit down with them and you get insight into their lives as well. So I think from a radio point of view, that one's got a, there's a lot to give. It's got a lot to give, fortunately. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. A podcast about making radio. Chris, as someone who's looking to get established in the radio industry, what did you take from Fordis there? I think the most important thing that she sort of covered was that you you don't just rock up to a radio show. Like it's much more than say, I know she does a two-hour radio show, but it's way more than that. You're you're on the look for content sort of every single hour of every single day of the week. So it's like she said, it's more than just a two-hour radio show. She's she's constantly on the look for content, she she's her drive show is around about was it five pm? Uh, yeah, well, it's a four till six, I think. Four till six. So uh, she said that she gets in around about midday to do like pre-recordings and speak with a producer and do uh, the prep for the content for the for the show. So it's you don't just sort of turn up 10, 15 minutes before the show and then just put the mic up and start talking. There's a lot of work that goes into it throughout throughout the day. Yeah, and 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 one bit that really stood out for me 
uh, Chris, was when she was talking about the feeling investment in your future. She said, if you, you join a station sometimes and it's hard to escape being seen as just the work experience person that's being paid mm-hmm. for a few hours. So she, that's why she moved on from her initial uh, BBC job. L- listening to that and thinking about newcomers, is that is that advice that, that you might take? I know it's difficult to say when you're you're starting at a station where you're thinking about moving on yeah. to the next place. But- you know, what? I think most of the time you don't really see presenters who who start at a station stay in there for the for their entire career. Like a uh, an exception for that would be Ricky and Melvin, who who started their career at Kiss. And they're still there to this day, which is which is incredible, really. I mean, they've done TV bits, but when it when it comes to radio, they have literally stayed at the station for for their entire career. But that's 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 an exception. Most of the time, you often see radio presenters having say like two or three years at a station before they move on to another. And it's just it's just a, it's, I think it's just a cycle. That's the way radio works. Mm. And and you mentioned there about Ricky and Melvin, who are, of course, University of Bedfordshire graduates, but you also mentioned their TV work. And in the conversation before this, we did talk about her CV, which is online, uh, with the other things that she has there. Uh, And I guess for for radio presenters, it is kind of important to to give yourself a big skill set where possible to make yourself as employable as possible. Of course, you you don't want to keep all your all your eggs in in the radio basket. <laughs> um, you want to sort of branch out a bit and try and get get as much exposure as you can because at the end of the day, you, you might not be in radio for for your entire career, and you want to sort of be able to sort of fall back. Well, not fall back, say fall forward, which is a bit more positive. So you want to fall forward on, say, like the TV aspect of it or voiceovering or some some radio presenters even do DJing as well. Um, so it's good to, to have sort of like a backup for when radio is no longer a part of your, your career. In my short time at the University of Bedfordshire, I've worked with lots and lots of talented young people and seen quite a few go to work for professional radio stations. One such graduate is Luke Gregory, a freelance radio presenter who popped back to the university recently. We had a chat and I started by asking him if life in radio has been what he expected. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. A podcast about making radio. It's a very tough industry. Um, When I left university, obviously I wasn't expecting to jump straight into work. It's taken a lot of hard work and effort and hours put in to getting somewhere I want to get to but at the moment yeah I'm um, presenting at KMFM in Kent I do that every weekend I do loads of cover and um, once you get to that stage we're actually doing a commercial radio show and you're getting paid for it, it yeah it's you just, when you realize it's like the best job in the world but it's 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 definitely a, a tough one to crack really. KMFM based in Kent I know you've been doing some some bits on on Saturdays and maybe some other cover shows as well yeah do you think the world of, of commercial radio, from your experience, is, is it what you expected it to be when you were studying at the university? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it is. It's, um, it's, it's tougher and there's a lot more pressure on you to do well. And obviously when radar results come around, it's, it's a big thing for the, for the company you're working for. So that can kind of maybe play on your mind sometimes. But normally if you just like believe in your content, believe in what you're saying, know what you're talking about and the music and know your audience I feel like it's it's not that much of a step up but you just got to make sure that you're really focusing on the listener at all times that's interesting you, you and you mentioned Rajar and, and the mm. pressure of Rajar which particularly for for commercial radio it must be such pressure because that's the listener figures and of course the number of listeners kind of helps with 
their advertising yeah. revenues and and you're kind of as a presenter responsible for bringing in those higher listener figures mm-hmm. getting more advertising revenue hopefully as a result do you think that with commercial radio there are such pressures that it restricts you from i guess making radio presenting an art form or do you think that those pressures help to keep you more in line and and, and keep you i guess on on the straight and narrow i mean how do you how do you see it well i think um when you're going for a station or you want to present on a station you know the station sound you know what literally you are going to be doing on that station but i feel like you, you've got freedom to do what you want like there's no like strict restriction of like you're not allowed to do this or this basically go on there be yourself but do it in a way which will fit with the station sound so yeah like, i'm not restricted to do anything on, on my weekend show i can go i can do what i want as long as i know the listener in kent will love it at that time on a saturday and that my boss is going to listen to that and go you know what that was pretty good then that's okay so like, i feel like there's, there's no like pressure on on what to do but you know if, if someone tells you i think we should take this angle on it then you know you, you can change up your content or what, you, what you're going to say but yeah it's, as long as as long as you're happy and you believe it's right for the station then i think it's fine with your with your experiences now are you finding that stations are are giving you a lot of information about their audience or, or what their sound or their brand is that is that something as a radio presenter you get a, like a big explanation from the bosses about yeah i think it's um yeah it's something that's definitely touched on it's it's um you know some some stations are very in depth with their with their listeners and they know what kind of series they watch on Netflix and stuff and it's very like this age bracket they're single they're not normally in relationships they're having a child so it's like you you do know a lot about your listeners and then that's why you've always got to plan your content around that and how you can be relatable to them and keep them listening really how interesting so so do you find you have to really get into the mindset of of your listeners because i imagine sometimes you're presenting to someone which doesn't fit your own personal description so how do you how do you try and get into the mind of your listener Uh, well that's that can be tough because it's like you said like it's hard to be relatable to someone that something you've not related yourself or experienced yourself this can just come through research and just listening to other people do it in the same way and you can just like try and work on what they've done and make it your own and I just feel like it's if you can just be yourself you know maybe I don't have to experience what they've experienced as long as they can relate to me maybe if it's something that happened to them like five or ten years ago you know if it's still being relatable and they're still enjoying it that's, that's the main thing. Luke it was always pretty clear to me you were a talented radio presenter but do you think that talent is enough or is there more to getting a break in the radio industry? Yeah, I think um, you, you could be really talented and just be the most unlucky person and there could be a stage where there's no jobs going at a station or where so- you've emailed someone and they happen to be like on holiday that week and they mm-hmm. don't get the email. So, you know, there's there's a lot more than just being really good. You've got to really put the work in and uh, get about and meet everyone and just just work even harder really like it's 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 all right being able to do a really good link but you can always improve i don't think anyone's you know the finished article even if you finish university like even now i I, I can improve loads and i take advice every day and every week i learn things every week so i feel like yeah it's 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 definitely a tough one but always got something to learn that's that's what i think still learning all the time you you mentioned uh meeting everyone Mm -hmm. now now 
in in your experiences so far, how do you go about meeting the right people? Well, I went to I went to this chat. I think it was actually when I was at uni. I went up to Northampton for this chat, and I remember someone saying the best way to meet someone is literally just ask them to meet for a coffee or a tea. And I literally took that advice, and it was just like just randomly just emailing anyone I could find in radio and just saying, could we meet for a coffee? And, you know, I would happen to get a couple of replies back. I'd meet some people and play my audio. Then they'd give you advice on on what to do next. And it just gets to that stage where, um, you know, you've created these contacts and these relationships with people that they can open doors for you and then they can get you more meetings. And it just gets to that stage where everyone just seems to know you because of everyone you've met and it's just kind of that, that, that network that you're trying to get in. People are always up for a, for a coffee, really, so it's just it's just pretty easy just to message someone, say, fancy meeting for a coffee, and they're up for it. Yeah, and I guess for them it's the same. They never that Meeting exactly. you might well work for them in the future yeah. one day. That's how it works. Brilliant. Um, so there will be people listening to this, Luke, who want to become paid to mm-hmm. present on a radio station. What, what advice can you offer them, and, and do you think it's even, it's worth it? Um, well, the best bit of advice would just be to work like really hard, like really, really hard. Never, like I said earlier, never think you're the finished product or you're, you know, you've got it all because there's always something you can improve on. Like you can just listen to radio every day, listen to different stations, uh, listen to what you think you would want to be on when you're an actual presenter listen to how they do it and then think how can I do that but better and in my own way just yeah just work hard because it, it's extremely tough to and don't give up like if you actually really want to do it like don't give up because what's the point in just giving up you have to go to the end work hard and if you do that then you, you're in with a chance Luke what are you listening to at the moment is there any presenter or, or station or are there programs that have got your ear what, what are you enjoying listening to at the moment uh, usually when I'm listening to radio, it'll be uh, Radio 1. I listen to Scott Mills a lot. Uh, I feel like his show is very uh, relatable for some of my age. I listen to a lot of Heart as well at the moment. When It's mainly because in my car I only get two stations. It's normally Radio 1 and Heart, but I, I listen to a lot of Heart. And um, apart from that, yeah, just don't really listen to much other radio because I feel like I'm in it all the time. It's nice to have a break from it when I'm in my car and just play my own music, really. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise, a podcast about making radio from the University of Bedfordshire. So Chris, I know you know Luke. Uh, Is he someone that you are already taking advice from about radio presenting? Do you know what? Luke has been a very important part to my um, development as a presenter. He sort of took me under his wing when I joined the university because we went to the same university. He was uh, two two years above me, so I was first year, he was third year, and... um, when I joined Radio Lab, he was the station manager of the station, mm. and he sort of took me under his wing. He gave me loads of advice, and he he helped me put together my first my first ever demo, my first ever radio demo, which is pretty cool. And um, I've been taking a lot of advice from Luke. He's he's a very knowledgeable person. He knows a lot about radio, and you can tell that it's a it's a massive passion of his, and it shows in all the stuff that he's he's got up to so far in his in his career. And it's still early days, so. Um, I've got high hopes for Luke. 
Hey, that's re- it's really interesting, and when you put it in those terms about you being a first year and these these slightly older students, because it makes me think back to when I was doing student radio, my first radio experiences, and I should probably give a, a shout out to uh, Simon Williams, who was uh, my station manager when I first joined Livewire at uh, at UEA in Norwich, and uh, he now works for. Uh, Radio X with uh, Johnny Vaughan on the Drive Time Show, funnily enough. And also a guy called Dave Bradshaw, who was the first person who trained me up on a desk, who I I still see making podcasts and videocasts and all sorts. So he's still very much uh, making media as well. With, With Luke, I liked that he was talking about being himself whilst also being mindful of his audience. When you're making radio programs, Chris, how do you, I guess, get into the psyche of your audience? So when it when it comes to the listener, you sort of already have a pre sort of, you know what your target audience for the station is going to be. And your content is always sort of based around the listener. So, for example, I'm at a community station in Watford at the moment. So a lot of my content is very uh, local and sort of Watford based because at the end of the day, it's a community station and um, you have to sort of make sure that your content is uh, relevant to the listener. I also thought, Chris, it was interesting to hear Luke's thoughts of if talent is enough. He says he's, he's always improving, but he also questions whether or not being talented is, is all you need to, to get a break in the radio industry. What do you make of that? You know, as someone who is clearly a talented radio presenter yourself, does that, does that give you hope or does it mean that you're going to try harder with the networking side of things? I think with, with, with everything in general, whether it be radio or another career, being a bus driver, being a, being a dustbin man, or you, I think hard work and persistence is, is key. Whether you're the most talented, say, a musician in the world or the most talented pilot in the world, I think if you don't work hard and you're not persistent with it, then I, I don't, there's only so far you can, you can go with that talent. Both Luke and Fordy spoke to me about the importance of always looking to improve as a presenter. For many radio presenters, hiring a consultant coach to help them with their presenting is how they look to develop themselves. Kate Cocker is the presenter coach. Over the last 15 years, she's coached and trained presenters in various stages of their careers. I caught up with Kate and asked her to tell me what makes a great radio presenter. Fantastic Fantastic Noise, a radio podcast from the University of Bedfordshire. So I have a number of sort of pillars, if you like, but I think there are two factors about being a radio presenter. One is that you have to be the host. So you have to work to make sure that you are never confusing your listener. That is the number one rule. In fact, that's probably the answer to your question. What's the one most important (laughs) thing? Never confuse your listener. Um, But the two things that you have to do to do that, I think, are one, be a great host so that's do the nuts and bolts part of what being a great host is Two, bring yourself to the table be vulnerable be entertaining be fun be prepared to expose things about yourself that make you human and then you can really connect and engage with your audience when you say confusing listeners in in what way might a presenter confuse their listeners well you can confuse your listeners in a number of ways so if you're not clear for things it's things like not being clear who you are what you're doing where you're going it's about getting lost in a story so if you you confuse your listener by losing the point of what you're trying to say Mm. detail and it gets boring running off point gets confusing I worked with someone recently actually who 
used the word but instead of erm when they were thinking and it was really confusing. So she would, because the word but implies that you're going to say something different to what you've just said. Mm. So listening to her going but, but, but after every point that she was trying to make uh, was a really confusing process. And the reason that you don't want to confuse your listener is that if your listener is confused, that is the most likely reason that they turn off. I, I, I get that. And and verbal tics and, and saying but instead of erm, I mean... If I was to listen back to myself more, I would be editing bits of me out constantly, I think, because I am guilty of that as, as much as the next person, possibly uh, why I moved into radio management rather than the presenting side of things. Who knows? I think I do have something to say about that, though, that I think that the odd erm makes you human. To err makes you human. I think the thing with ticks is that when you're doing them all of the time, they become distracting. And people hear it. So some presenters have a, you know, they breathe in like that. And if you latch onto that, then that's all you hear. So it's about making sure that you are in control of those crutches, I suppose, that you use regularly. Do you ever listen to presenters on radio getting paid to do this job and think they need help and yet no one's giving them the right advice? I tend to hear presenters and go, God, just one session, one session. And that would, that would, iron that bit out i tell you what i hear that draws me to someone is that i can when i hear them being nervous or i hear them not fully confident in what they're trying to do that's when i go one session i could i could change that and then they would be amazing Mm. i guess there's always something to work on that's the that's what makes radio addictive i think when you're making it there's always a tiny step further that could make it better or a tiny step further that could make that content amazing um I work with someone who just comes and pops back to me probably once a year and he goes, you know, it's always good to keep going. And he's been in the industry sort of 20 years and he just believes that you can always get better or, you know, there are bad habits that you form that you just need to get knocked out of you again. And radio draws that type of person, really, that you just want to make it better all the time. How can I make that better? How can I do that better next time? I guess that might be because of the 24-7 nature of it and that you're only as good as your last link, you know. I work with lots of students who who want to make radio programmes and a common issue is that these students find it easier to present a programme with a friend. Uh, Arguably, uh, they proceed to forget that they should be talking to listeners and not not each other. Is this an issue that crops up professionally as well? And, And is there a line where you can talk to a friend on the radio or talk to someone else in the studio and get it right in terms of addressing the listener at the same time. You have to remember as a co-host that you're presenting side by side and not to each other. You're presenting, you know, Ant and Deck don't present to each other. You know, Mm. they present to the audience and enjoy being stood next to each other while they do it. I think that's the same for radio. It's a really common thing that at a student level, or when you first start doing radio, you feel like it's a lot easier when you're in with someone else and the reason it feels like it's a lot easier is because it's really weird talking to yourself in a booth (laughs) and no one's responding you get the same feeling when you do facebook lives or instagram lives you're just talking to this camera and all you all you have for comfort is your own face Mm. so there are a number of techniques that you can use i think little tips like you know you might want to put your own face in front of you you know you might want to put your your facebook or your phone on you and just press record so it feels like you've got a face looking back at you so you get a response okay um that's when you're on your own that is or oh Clint Boone I used to work with Clint Boone he used to have a picture of John Peel that he used to talk to (laughs) so you know people have pictures of of presenters or friends or some people take teddy bears in just to help that 
feeling of a talking to one person and b feeling like you're getting a bit of a reaction because that's the hardest part i think is sitting in that booth and not knowing how people feel when you're speaking but i would say that recently i've noticed with a few people i've worked with and my husband being one of them he you know he's finished doing his breakfast show and then gone into a solo show and it took him a good 6 months to work out how to do that because with the breakfast show he was paired with his friend and they loved creating content together mm. and he then went into this solo show thinking right I'm going to create be able to create this content that's of this certain level and he just found it really hard because he was on his own he didn't have a producer or anything for a long time it kind of stuck with him that you know he wasn't making as good a content because he was on his own so it's not something that just is isolated with people just starting out in radio the biggest thing is that essentially you need to be a solo voice on radio because that's the way you're more likely to get a job these days. Like paying for pairs doesn't tend to happen unless you're exceptional. And the best duos have formed because they worked together probably as producer presenter to start with. Yes. Not as a duo to start as a duo. So it's a, it's a relationship that's built over time. So my point is that it, I think at a student level, try and do the shows on your own because you can always pair up with someone once you've got the skills. It's harder to build your own skills if you're just talking to your mate in a room. And it's it's not easy for a listener to be involved in that. Kate, not everyone who wants to become a professional radio broadcaster is going to be lucky enough to, to get a job doing this. Do you think the practice of radio presentation is useful for, for other jobs and, and roles? Is it worth pursuing for, for other reasons? The skills that you'll learn as a radio presenter are essential in real life. Mm. <laughs> I'll tell you the story of the podcast, a podcast that I consulted on, which was professional broadcaster with two friends from the rugby club. Mm-hmm. So two friends from the rugby club come along. One's a quantity surveyor, one's an independent financial advisor. Neither of them have done any radio before. After six months of doing it, the quantity surveyor says, I really enjoy doing this podcast. Once a week, I have to really think about how I form my opinions and how I'm communicating them. And he said, and it's made me better at my job in pitching ideas, in having conversations and being able to get where I need to go. So improving his influence. Radio teaches you the art of storytelling. It teaches you the art of communicating a point. It com- teaches you to be really clear and I now spend a lot of my time going into businesses and teaching them how to do that so they improve their pitches and everything because and interviews and storytelling and interviews and things like that because of what I've done in radio and because of the 20 years I've spent teaching radio presenters how to do it I always think of radio presenters are like the top line communicators they're at the sharp edge of communication they've got like 10 20 30 seconds to get you to know them like them and trust them enough that you'll listen for the next 15 minutes because that's a radio presenter's job right mm-hmm. is your job is to get your listeners to listen for another 15 minutes whether that be the next 15 minutes or another 15 minutes that the audience samples later in the day doesn't matter the radio presenter's job is to get you to like that radio station and form a connection with that radio station so that you come back you're doing that in a really short space of time. So you really have to craft those links really, really well. That's if you're in music radio, of course. Mm. So that's what I then go out into businesses and teach. So to say it's absolutely hands down transferable and you'll find yourself in a, a really good place if you practice that level of communication. Kate, you've produced an online course based on how to become a great radio presenter. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's um, six modules long and it breaks down the elements that you need to be a great radio presenter. I think it works really well if you've got the opportunity to practice because I'm a big believer in practice. Obviously, that practice can be on your own in a room where there is no one actually listening and no radio being broadcast. It covers how you think about your listener. It covers how you prep your show. It covers where you get your content from. It covers how you structure your work, covers how to boost yourself via social media. 
It covers a little bit of vocal tone work and how you can use your voice or correct some of those easy mistakes that people tend to make. It's a real bumper, in-depth course. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really proud of it. It was, I made it when I left working in radio full-time, full-time, and I captured all the things that I'd learnt. And, you know, it's one of those things where I could have sat down and written a book, but I'm not that patient. So actually <laughs> sitting in front of a camera and telling you on telling you my stories and talking about how it's done, I think was really fulfilling for me. And it's created, I think, a really lovely course that can give you some real basics and depth and understanding. So earlier I mentioned that it's the presenter's job to make sure that your listener comes back for another 15 minutes. And in the course, you'll find out why. So if you just go to my website, go to presentercoach.co.uk, on there, you'll get a little pop-up that gives you the first module of my course completely for free. So that's all the listener stuff completely for free. So it's how you don't confuse your listener is basically what that is. Then there's the option to buy that and everything. But if not, you can get onto my mailing list and I'm regularly updating that and there's content being put through that as well. So go ahead and come find me. I always ask our guests on this podcast the same question, and that is, what are you listening to at the moment? What are you enjoying? Are there particular presenters, radio stations, programs, or, or even podcasts that have really got your ear at the moment? Yeah, so I've got, um, um, at the moment, my favourite thing to listen to is a podcast called Where Should We Begin? Uh, I can't remember her name. Her name is Esther. She's a counsellor, and I love it. So it's on Audible. So Audible now do shows on um, Esther Perel, that's her name. Uh, Audible now do kind of podcasts that are free as part of your Audible subscription. Mm. And Esther Perel has two seasons on there now um, called Where Should We Begin? And it's you, you get to eavesdrop on uh, couples counselling. The, the reason I like it is because the, there's a bit of thought gone into the way that it's formatted. So she's brilliant. She interrupts the conversations and explains sometimes what's going on and how couples sometimes do this thing and all that. Um, and it's just really nicely produced because whenever she interrupts the conversation, they put a little music bed underneath her. So you get this real idea that it's not part of the session, but she's she's putting her point of view in. I'm really enjoying it. Mm. It's like Love Island for grownups, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, at the moment, the BBC have, have, have caught my ear. I tend to do, I do listen to a lot of my clients' work listening to them. Mm. But I will. I have been trying a few things out, and I tend to, I tend to waft around. So I'll have, you know, six weeks where I'm listening to one radio station or a couple of different radio stations, and then six weeks where I'm listening to something else just based on mood. I'm enjoying what Five Live are doing at the moment in terms of bringing more personality and more warmth into their presentation styles. So I've been listening, and every now and then you hear a promo for breakfast, and one of the promos that's run for breakfast was completely Vicky Campbell having the mickey taken out of him by people on Twitter. So it wasn't anything to do with the news or the content, but there's definitely a feeling that when you're listening to Five Live, it's a it's an easier listen for that news format than mm. some of the other stations can be. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. A podcast about making radio. Chris, at the start of that conversation, Kate talked about bringing yourself to the table and making yourself human. For me, too many radio presenters don't seem like real people, uh, often because I guess they need to cram everything into 10-second long links. Did you pick up on anything Kate said there? Um, I really liked the point that she made on uh, you don't want to confuse a listener when when you're sort of doing your links. And I I find that very relatable. So what I often find with... uh, local community radio presenters or student radio presenters, I find that they often beat around the bush a little bit too much when it comes to uh, their links. And instead of doing, say, a two-minute long uh, link, I think you can often get away with doing 
the same sort of speaking about the same content but then shortening it and put it into a 30 second link and I find when you when you manage to do that it often uh, sounds a lot more crisper a lot more cleaner and it, it just it's just it's just better in my opinion if anyone would like to contact the podcast, it would be marvellous to hear from you. I'm keen to make this podcast as interactive as a pre-recorded piece of audio can be. So uh, give us a shout, and I'll be happy to read out your correspondence, be it suggestions for future podcasts, feedback, or something else. Here are the contact details. Contact us. Email. Fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk. Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash a fantastic noise. Instagram and Twitter. At a fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Now, making radio can be seriously bad for your health. Actually, that's not true. But I'm trying to construct a witty link here, and it's heading south quickly. What we need is some radio and audio health advice. Is there a doctor on board? Why, yes. Yes, there is. It's time for Dr Laurie Hallett's radio surgery. I'm Dr Laurie Hallett, Senior Lecturer in Radio and Journalism at the University of Bedfordshire. If you want to learn about radio, the trick is to listen to radio. Don't just listen to the station you've been listening to since you were a kid. Try and search around, find different stations, look online and tune around on your DAB or FM radio. Different radio stations do things in lots of different ways and if you're going to become a professional in this industry, you need to know that there's lots of different ways to skin the audio cat. So that's my colleague and often my radio oracle, Laurie Hallett, uh, talking about skinning the radio cat, which is a, a sort of term which uh, probably would confuse every international student we ever worked with here. <laughs> probably one that none of us have ever come across before, unless you have, Chris. I like it. I haven't heard it before, but it sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, but he's talking about listening to lots of radio as, as a top tip, and, and, and surely... Uh, that is the way to go in terms of how to improve. Just keep listening. Find different sorts of radio, maybe even radio that you, you wouldn't necessarily want to listen to in your own time, and just, just critically listen to it. Do you ever find 100%. yourself... Yeah, do you ever find yourself listening to, to stations that aren't naturally your fit? All the time. I think if, you wanna, if, you're, if you're serious about uh, becoming a radio presenter and you, you have to, you have to listen to more than just what you, you normally listen to because at the end of the day it's all about improving your your style and your presentation style as a as a radio presenter and you can only find that by listening to loads of different stations because you sort of pick you pick bits from each presenter that you listen to and you say oh I like that or no that's not kind of my cup of tea but you, you can you always learn so for example with me I want to try and get into commercial radio mm. uh, so for example sample stations like kiss capital capital extra but that doesn't mean i only listen to to them free stations i often find myself listening to talk sport mm. uh, bbc radio one bbc radio two when you want to improve your presentation style the key is to know what you are what you want to be what you want to be as a presenter and you need to sort of take bits from each each station each presenter and sort of incorporate it in in your own in your own way. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. A podcast about making radio from the University of Bedfordshire. Chris, before we go, 
would you agree with me that radio is full of jargon terms and words that make things sound more complicated than they actually are? Oh, 100%. I, I definitely agree. Uh, radio radio producers, radio presenters, radio managers often use this sort of jargon to sort of make, make their job sound a lot more complicated than it actually is. But really, it's pretty straightforward. And if you... If you are thinking about getting involved within radio, don't let the the jargon sort of scare you off before you even you even started. And I think it's 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 a lot more simple than than people actually make it out to be. Well, for that very reason, Chris, we're going to start a, a regular feature right now. It's time for some jargon busting with the radio word of the week. Radio word of the week. Podcast about making radio. This time our word is RAJAR. Not technically a word, but an acronym. Uh, it stands for Radio Joint Audience Research and is the official body in charge of measuring radio audiences in the UK. It's jointly owned by the BBC and the Radio Centre on behalf of the commercial radio sector. And from now on, if you hear RAJAR referred to or RAJAR figures, and our guests today did bring them up, you know what they're going on about. Chris. I'm guessing that you're quite familiar with the term radar in terms of what it means and audience figures. It's the word that not many radio people want to be hearing all the time because it, when you hear radar, you, you sort of get the, the pressure sort of starts to build and you, you get a bit you get a bit scared when you hear radar. Yeah, absolutely. But perhaps in the near future, we'll be able to talk to you and have a scary conversation about your own Rajar figures, Chris. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all we have time for in this episode of Fantastic Noise. There will be another episode next week, of course. Do follow us on social media at A Fantastic Noise for updates and previews. Thanks to our guests today, Fordis Fridrickson, Luke Gregory and Kate Cocker. Thanks as well to my co-host, Chris Ross. And good luck to you, Chris. Keep in touch, please. Thank you for having me, Terry. Appreciate it. No worries. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, Stu with a double O. Our announcements were from Freya McCann, and our theme music is by Liam Ayton. This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team and recorded in the studios of Radiolab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee, and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise. 